funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. video with your host Jonathan and Jacob. Jacob, how's it going? Uh, going good, man. You know, New York City, uh, uh, apparently we're still having air quality issues. And uh, there it is. <laughs> what, you didn't want a weather update? Uh, sure. You know what? I did see on the news that, that New York is still, actually now it's like, now it, I feel like we're headed towards, the news is slowly going to start like letting you know this is a way of life now. Oh yeah. So. Dude. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, it's just like, yeah, it, it, it's not no longer like a question of like, is the air quality bad today? Of just like, how bad is it? We're, 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 we're nudging up to blade runner, but it's not going to look as cool. So you know. yeah. And no fucking cool ass robots either. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unless you count those Boston dynamic things that you can just kick over while it wiggles around. Um, Dude, don't even get me fucking started. Boston, those those dogs that are like, or the the robot. It's like, oh, watch this new robot that we designed. It can like uh, climb stairs at, at like zero miles an hour. It's like, get the fuck out of here. I don't care about this. No, shit. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stand for this Boston dynamic slander. You did this last time. I don't know. I'm not gonna do it. They're doing great work over there. Um, what, you big Boston dynamic. You big robot <laughs> fan. You gonna? I, I am gonna a robot sp- fan. You're going to spend $5 million on a robot that can very slowly <laughs> climb three stairs. One that can go to the fridge and get me a drink and come back. And it's only 25 grand. Um, anyway, listen, so guys, we know our last episode was late, but it, but you know, it sucks. It was an issue with the post. Uh, so for long-term listeners who are waiting for our episode to drop, sorry about that. Uh, we posted it and it was scheduled, but something weird happened with Anchor and I was out of town traveling and my co-host uh, didn't really decide to do anything until Monday to let me know that it hadn't posted. So it's kind of his <laughs> Wait, fault. I just discovered it on Monday. Yeah, you didn't check before Monday. At least I had an excuse. I was in Alaska. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Either way, sorry that was tis, late. Tis the poor workman who blames his tools. <laughs> Um, because it means you guys didn't really have a lot of time to watch the two movies we're covering this week, but, uh, either way, uh, sorry about that. So this one will post on time. I will make sure that there are no weird hangups with anchor anyway. Also, um, also, you know, you can listen to shit anytime you want to, you know, that's fine. That is true. That is true. But I'm only saying that because I have podcasts I listen to and I go into a rage filled uh, rant if they post even like two hours late. Mm. So I'm not, I'm sure everybody's not like that, but like if I get up, like even if it's something that posts at midnight, if I get up the next morning and want to listen to it during a workout and it's not posted yet, I'm just immediately like done. I'm never listening to this shit again. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily for you or luckily for us, I think, uh, I think our, our listeners aren't quite as demanding, but uh, you know, that's good. I hope not. Uh, anyway, guys, so this is Asian Cinema Month, and uh, before we jump into our two movies, which we are both very excited to talk about, I went to the movie theater to see something that actually falls into Asian Cinema Month perfectly, and it wasn't even planned. I went and saw the newest raunchy comedy called Joyride. 
and uh absolutely loved it it was fantastic it was it was very it was better than uh it was better than no hard feelings like by a pretty decent margin so what is joyride what is what is because when you said joyride i was like is this the jennifer lawrence thing but no that's no hard feelings what is joyride i don't know if i've heard of it joyride is about this 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 girl uh who is adopted by white parents and she's from China and I'm not going to give any spoilers. Uh, not that you can spoil much of this movie, but I still don't want to spoil it. She's from China. So they like, it opens up, this is in the trailer. It opens up with them like walking over to these Chinese parents and they're like, Hey, would you mind if our daughter played with your daughter? They're like, why? Like, obviously they're defensive about it. Cause it's fucking weird to do that. And they're like, Oh, well we adopted her from China and like you guys are Chinese and they can play and they become best friends. And then obviously it's like a friendship tale full of shenanigans and all that. She has to go to China for a job thing and they decide to try to find her birth mother while she's there. But it's hilarious. Every character is fucking funny. It's dirty. It's much dirtier than, than no hard feelings, which I was glad about. Like they really went like all the way, which was very much appreciated. Uh, it didn't make any money, but I thought it was fucking fantastic. Laugh my ass off the whole time. So Okay, so yeah, so it's it's from what I'm understanding and looking at it now, it's the uh, it's like a kind of Asian American uh, R-rated comedy kind of thing. Yeah, and you know it 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 sucks that it flopped because I do think there's a lot there. They they didn't get preachy on anything, but it touched on kind of the discrimination that one can feel even within the Asian community if they're a different type of Asian. Uh, it also touched on the the problematic nature that kind of goes into how adoption works and when you when you adopt someone from a different country and kind of rip them out of that and bring them over to America or any country for that matter. I don't know. I thought I thought like it had a fair amount of heart. Um, OK, OK. But also I could be blinded a bit by the fact that I'm just happy that we've got some raunchy comedies back in theaters. So. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm. I mean, I'm a sucker for those kind of movies, anyways. Like, probably hearkening back to the, you know, the Apatow uh, days. You know, the the Halcyon days of the Apatow R-rated comedy. And it looks like this has some uh, some pedigree as well. Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen, I guess, produced it. Um, yeah, I believe so. So yeah, well, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's a good development, man. I mean, I'll probably watch both of these movies whenever they, you know, hit streaming or whatever. Um, well, dude, they're just really like it's a really good party movie. Like you put it on and everybody's going to laugh. And whoever yeah. doesn't laugh, you know, they're the dud and don't invite them back to your house. So Right. And what a fun party that is when you just have everybody around watching a movie. Right. That's, yeah. It's like uh, a movie party. It's not a party. You go to like chit chat. You know, it's like you go, you hang out, you watch a movie. That's how, right. that's how like, things everybody work. shut the fuck up. But this is a movie party. Yeah, exactly. No, now you get it. Like you got it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I'm I, either way, man. The, the R-rated comedy, dude. Welcome back. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully the box office uh, disaster doesn't doesn't affect it, and we maybe get more of these. Um, hey, I'm also pumped for another R-rated comedy we're getting called Strays, and it comes out next month. And, oh, is that uh, the one with the dogs and Will yeah, Ferrell? Yeah, dude. I'm sorry that that movie. I don't give a shit if people consider that like low grade, whatever. Like that movie's gonna be fucking hilarious. Dude, Will Ferrell as a dog telling another dog to shut the fuck up. I mean, I don't know what to tell you that like I'm going to watch that movie, you know? Yeah. And once again, something we've texted about that we don't have to get into because I think we disagree. But um, 
you know, I don't like the fact that the trailer shows so many of the jokes. Like, for instance, mm. Joyride, it ruined a lot of those jokes because you heard it in in the trailer. Um, so that kind of fucking sucked. And the same with the Strays movie. Like, you can't avoid watching it if you go to the movies because they play it in front of everything. But I'm just not a big fan of these two and a half minute trailers that just show you tons of punchlines. It just gets on my nerves. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely worse for comedies than it is for, um, for well, for non-comedies. Because you're right, it does, it does ruin the uh, the jokes. Um, Having said that, Napoleon trailer, I need you to publicly say what you text me, which is that you were wrong and Napoleon looks awesome. Yeah, I was wrong. Napoleon looks awesome. Um, Thank uh, you. I, I hope it's ten hours long. It looks absolutely fucking sick. And uh, I guess there's a lot of people shitting on it. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a very public and very pronounced. Shut the fuck up to anyone publicly shitting on Napoleon. It looks fucking dope. What? What's the beef? You? What, what, I haven't seen anything because I haven't been on social media. What? What are they bitching about? What's the beef with this trailer? I don't know. I think people just calling Ridley Scott mid, and you know, like. Oh my god. Yeah, I knew, I knew that would set you off. <laughs> he's he's one of the most influential directors in the history of cinema, and you're going to call him mid. Well, especially like, especially like, and I'll say this: I'm I'm less of a Ridley Scott fan than you are, even though I recognize you know he's 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 great. But like, if we were getting like all kinds of awesome contemporary movies, especially like big contemporary like epics, you know then it would be completely and perfectly fine to shit on Napoleon. But brother, it is a desert and I am dying of thirst and Napoleon is a big bucket of water. You know what I mean? Like this is awesome. Like, I- I'm sorry if, if it's not fucking, uh, you know, some kind of a 24 movie or like, you know, I-, I don't know, like Ridley Scott, he probably is mid in the grand scheme of the entire history of cinema. But brother, right now, we need a Ridley Scott epic. You know what I mean? Like, this is going to be awesome. I'm sorry. If you're if you're fucking too cool for school to recognize that, then I don't know. Shut the fuck up. Let us in, let us enjoy this. Uh, this probably historically, I'll say this, hopefully historically inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> Just well, epic uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Ridley Scott. Um and people are like, oh, it's just, oh, they're all speaking in British accents, even though they're all French. Yeah. Is this your first movie? Like, <laughs> is, it, is this baby's first movie? Shut the fuck up and sit down and enjoy it. God damn it. You know? Well, first off, Napoleon had an interesting enough life that you don't need to really make up too much to make it entertaining. Right. Um, that's true. But also, I completely disagree that in the even in the big scheme of it all is Ridley Scott mid. I think. Let's not let's look at just American cinema um, just between Blade Runner and Alien. You know, he he's hands down one of the most in- influential directors American cinema has ever seen. Sure. Um, but this movie, I don't I, I also I'm I'm choosing not to put a caveat. I don't give a shit what's coming out. This could this could have came out the same year. One of my favorite movies ever came out Braveheart. And I'm still going to be excited about Napoleon. I don't give a shit. Good movies, bad movies. I think you don't need a caveat. The trailer looks great. It reminded me of Barry Lyndon in terms of the attention to detail and the costumes. Uh, I, I think they, they, he hit a home run. Like, I don't like, I'm not going to say the movies, I'm not guaranteeing greatness, but at least 
it is something just like with the last duel. I was a big fan of that movie, obviously a bigger fan than, than you. And I think a lot of people, uh, but the dude still knows how to do it. I'm sorry. Like he, he's fucking fantastic. Yeah. I'm excited. Napoleon, like let's, let's fucking do it, man. Let's, uh, also culturally relevant. You know, I'm beginning, I'm thinking that the, uh, the a Napoleon type figure is the only way out of like 90% of our current problems, you know? So maybe this will inspire, uh, you know, some kind of Napoleonic figure to rise up and, um, defeat, uh, uh, late capitalism once and for all. Oh yeah. I'm sure that's going to happen yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, it could, you don't know. You're right. I don't know. Uh, but it'd be cool if it was me though. Sure, dude. I'll support you. Thank you. I'll, uh, I won't. I'll, I won't put you in the stocks. <laughs> I'll lead a uh, a what do you call it a uh, 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 a gendarme of 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 soldiers. You know, fighting fighting uh, for your cause. You know. Well, this is parody, so no reason for anybody to take up arms. Um, <laughs> this is a joke. So, it's a joke before, intended for uh, humor. Before we jump into our two brilliant movies we're covering this week, have you been watching anything non-pod related that you would like to share? You know, <laughs> it's funny you say that because I, you know, I was going to say, I don't know if now's the time for me to announce this, but, uh, you know, sure, I guess I brought it up. So I'm embarking on a project and I don't know if this will ever Uh-oh. intersect. Uh, yeah, I don't know if this will ever intersect with the podcast. Um, it probably will because... It's just how things go, but I'm, I'm, I'm embarking on a quest and, and here's the thing, you know, anybody who listens to this podcast for a long time knows that my, my wheelhouse, my favorite uh, kind of movie is uh, the Hollywood classics, right? I'm talking 1930 to uh, 1965, we'll say Um, that's maybe even a little bit late. Um, just kind of the classic, uh, Hollywood movies, right? That's, that's my own personal favorite kind of movie in my, my wheelhouse. Now, the problem with this is I have seen a lot of movies in that territory, but not really, not really absorbed them or paid attention to them or, or, um, like for instance, I've seen a lot of noirs, but like a lot of noirs have the same similar plot lines and, I get them confused, right? I don't know like which ones I haven't seen and which ones I have seen. Cause back in the early days of streaming, Netflix would like actually had a film noir section that would just have like 30 random movies, you know? Um, anyways, I am, I'm in the process of kind of collating, gathering a kind of personal Hollywood classic canon for myself. Right. And I'll probably share it, you know, on Letterboxd when I'm done, um, maybe talk about it on the podcast. Maybe we'll, you know, um, watch a few movies from it. I don't know, but a, a, a basically collection of movies from the early thirties to the early sixties that are kind of, uh, my personal Hollywood favorites or Hollywood classics that I think are, are, uh, very important. And this is going to range from movies that everybody knows, right? Like, I'm just looking at the list now. Frankenstein, Scarface, you know, King Kong, uh, Duck Soup, It Happened One Night, you know, things like that, to also movies that I think have not gotten a lot of credit, 
maybe because they're not available on streaming or maybe because, um, well, they're just kind of not available in general. Um, but that should be uh, well-known. I'm thinking of like Joseph von Sternberg's uh, Morocco, which I think is one of the best movies in history, but I don't think a lot of people have seen it. Um, and so, yeah, that's just a little project I'm working on. Um, I've got a list. I've got a preliminary list of 373 movies. I'm hoping to winnow that down to maybe a cool 200, you know, by the end of it of just kind of, um, essential Hollywood classics that are, um, my own personal canon uh, of those kind of movies, maybe 250. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so yeah, it's a little project I'm working on. I'm very excited about it. Cause I'm going to rewatch some old favorites. Uh, I'm going to watch some stuff I've never seen before, but I've always wanted to get around to watching. Um, yeah, really focus. Cause see, I've, and we talk about this off pod. I have a very, uh, bad tendency to watch things that I quote unquote should watch instead of things that I really just want to watch intuitively. Um, and so I'm starting to do that with uh, this Hollywood classics list. I don't know. I don't know if this will be good podcast material. I don't know if what I just said was good podcast material. Maybe we should cut it all out, but, uh, but yeah, that's, it's kind of a project that I've been, uh, that I've been working on. I mean, I think it's podcast material. If you just want everyone to know you're a nerd, <laughs> hey, I'll I, take I, it. I, I think I think it's podcast material. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like, what, you're gonna you're gonna have like a spreadsheet with all your with all your movies and lists and breaking down everything or something like that. Is that what you're gonna do? No, I'm just doing it on Letterboxd. Oh, okay. I always forget about Letterboxd. Yeah, no, I'm just was Letterbox was fun for like a day, and then my I was just like I don't I don't want to do this anymore. No, I'm just doing it on Letterbox. It's uh, you know, I've already started it. I mean, because it's not just like a collating of the list, but it's the watching of stuff, right? Like I, I've already started the project. I watched um, uh, Joseph von Sternberg's silent movie called Underworld, which is uh, widely known as probably the very first American gangster movie, um that has like all the tropes that would be in the Warner brothers gangster movies in the thirties. Uh, but this came out in 1928. So kind of the glory days of, of silent cinema. Um, so yeah. And then I'm going to move into the thirties and uh, yeah. So it's, it's common. It's not just making a list. It's a, you know, it's going to be a lot of rewatching a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of reading behind the scenes stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited about it. Well, keep us posted, and yeah, of course, I'm sure we'll end up pulling uh, from that from that list for for an episode or a series or something we end up doing. I feel certain. Well, uh, there you go, coming attractions. Okay, listen, I think we're probably never going to agree on this, or I could be misremembering, and we already agree. But either way, um, <laughs> with every Japanese movie I watch. The case that Japan is better than France only strengthens. Mm-hmm. In and, terms of, and, and in terms I want to stress cinema. this. I want to stress this too. It is a competition. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to say that that this is a competition. Look, we watch movies, we rank movies, we make lists. That is what we do. It, it, yeah, is I it, know, ne- I know, is I it know. necessary? No. Or should we just be happy that we have it? Yes. But uh, still, like, okay, so for this week, we're watching, as we told you guys last week, which was technically two days ago due to the late post, 
Um, we're watching uh, uh, Harry Carey from 1962 and Samurai Rebellion from 1967. And those are from Masaki Kobayashi. Now, I didn't know what to think going into these. Like, I, I did exactly what I told Jacob I was going to do. Look, I'm going to pick something that's just like Kurosawa, but not Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And then I found out I was wrong because Kobayashi develops his own voice and his own visual style, especially in Harakiri. And when I when I did research on Harakiri, I found out that a lot of people consider this to be the greatest samurai movie ever made. But uh, something to take note of is when we, anybody that knows the history, I should say, when when we say greatest samurai movie, what we should be saying is greatest anti-samurai movie. Mm, because right. that's really what all these movies are. Seven Samurai, Harakiri, uh, Samurai Rebellion. Like all these movies are anti-samurai movies because the goal was not to glorify the samurai. Um, hence what goes on in, in both of these movies. Both of these movies deal with a few different things, including women's rights, uh, what it means to be a man. So I guess by today's terminology, we would say toxic masculinity. Um, I, it deals with classism. Uh, I cannot believe how good both of these movies were, but specifically uh, Harakiri was was next level. Um you have you had seen this before we watched this. Did you did before we had this episode? Did you watch it based on the fact that it it was so highly regarded in the movie world, or or what was your reason for watching it? Yeah, I mean, I just heard good things about it, and I want to touch on because you mentioned a few different things that I want to touch on. I'm yeah. kind of um, in reverse order here. Um, you know, regarding the well, I think your your central thing, and I, the, the first thing you mentioned, which is important, which is that there are, um, I, I, I guess I I assumed, and maybe this is an incorrect assumption to make, but I assumed that there were a lot of samurai movies that were made in post war Japan, right? Yeah, and. I when I watched Harakiri for the first time, I thought it was great, but I thought that it was just kind of a random samurai movie, uh, you know, kind of almost like a to use a Hollywood version, almost kind of like a, a Gone with the Wind or something, you know, like a very good movie, but not directed by anybody in particular, you know, or, or Casablanca may be a great example, uh, you know, someone who's who's a product of the studio system, but not necessarily made by like an auteurist director. And that was the first uh, misconception that was, that was completely overturned when watching these two movies. Cause I thought Harakiri was just like, Oh, it's just a random good ass samurai movie. Right. And then pairing it with samurai rebellion, uh, which is the same director, Masaki Kobayashi, um, Harakiri came in 1962 and then Samurai Rebellion in 1967. I, I understood, and obviously doing some research after I watched them both movies together, I understood that, that Harakiri is not just a random, like good samurai movie, but that it is a part of an autorist body of work by Masaki Kobayashi and that he returned to the same themes 
um, throughout his career. And, um, and so, yeah, does that make sense? Like I, I, I didn't see Harakiri as like an, a tourist work. I saw it as just like a random good old samurai movie. And then when we, when I paired it with samurai rebellion, rewatching it this time, I was like, Oh, this guy's up to a, a career project, right? This, this is, this is not just some like random popular movie. This is, this is the, an auteurist work of someone who has a career artistic project in mind that they are refining and developing over their career. Does that distinction make sense? No, it absolutely makes sense because I think that people make the same assumptions about samurai movies. And I'm going to name a genre that borrowed heavily from it just because that they think about Westerns, which is, oh, they're all, they're all basically kind of the same. Mm -hmm. And it's like, until you understand what the movie is, who the director is, it kind of helps you start to put together what the message is. What is it saying in a large, in the larger scheme of things? Like what, what is the message? And I think that happens a lot. And clearly the Westerns borrowed heavily from samurai movies and you can do the same thing with Westerns. Like there are people that would be like, oh yeah, Unforgiven is just like every other Western or Rio Bravo or the man who shot Liberty Balance kind of thing. So I could see, oh, Harakiri is just like any other fucking samurai movie when it's like, well, actually, no, it's significantly deeper than that. Right. And I think I, I want to offer just another point of comparison just to kind of flesh out this point. You know, there is a, I think I've recommended this to you, um, there's a samurai trilogy on the Criterion Collection that's just called the Samurai Trilogy, and it's directed by um, Hiroshi Inagaki, and it's got uh, Toshiro Mifune, uh, and it's it's a three uh, it's a trilogy in the fifties: Musashi Miyamoto, Duel at Ichijoji Temple, and Duel at Ganryu Island. Um, it's they're in color, they're very vivid. I think those movies, that trilogy is closer to the kind of just like, oh, this was just a popular good samurai movie at the time, right? Um, as opposed to like the auteurist works of Kurosawa or now I'm finally realizing of Kobayashi. And I think the Western comparison is really good because it's the difference between something like Shane, right? Which I think is a good Western, um, but nobody would confuse, I think in in execution and intent, something like Shane is a lot different than something like the searchers. Right. Um, one of them is just like a good old classic Western. The other one is an a tourist work. That's part of a, a consistent artistic vision. Um, so yeah, that was, um, I think that's an interesting distinction to be made, but I want to, I want to transition into another point that you made, which is that this and other samurai movies in post-war Japan are very critical of uh, very critical of the samurai code of honor, right? And I want to take this discussion in two separate directions and see what your thoughts are. One of them is I'm not sure I've ever watched a pro samurai movie because when you read about it, a lot of people will say that that movies in the 20s and 30s, and obviously under Imperial Japan, like World War II. Uh, in that era, they were very kind of pro samurai, pro, um, pro, uh, 
uh, well, I guess pro samurai, uh, very in favor of uh, basically saying this is a good idea. This this militarism and this this hierarchy and whatever. Whereas post war Japanese cinema was like, man, we just got. I mean, we just got fucking nuked like literally twice, uh, and and our the post-war Japanese people were very critical of the kind of bloodthirsty um, uh, militarism of the regime during World War II. Um, And so it makes sense that there would be a lot of artistic products that were very critical of that hierarchical, feudal mode of of militaristic mode of living. Um, So, yeah, I guess I want to take it in two directions. Like, what do you think... Have you? Do you think you've ever seen a pro samurai movie? Because all the kind of critically acclaimed ones are very anti samurai and very critical. And the second part of that is, how do you think that ties into just the history of the 20th century and World War II? Because this is a this is a country that had again been nuked twice and was basically at rock bottom. Like, of course, they were questioning their traditional feudal militaristic values in ways that. For instance, the Western, certain directors were criticizing the West, but most of them weren't. Most of them were just like, we're America. We're on top of the world. Look at, we're just continuing manifest destiny. This shit fucking rules, you know? And so most Westerns were not very critical of the old West. In fact, they were glorifying it. Like, this is how we got here by behaving like this, you know? Whereas in Japan, it was like, oh, this is how we got here by behaving like this, you know? Um See, I'm interested in what your thoughts are on those two things. Have you ever seen a pro samurai movie that you can think of? And how do you think the historical, the history of the 20th century affects both of these movies, these genres, samurai and Western? Well, I mean, I, I, I will add a third one in there if we can move away just from West, because I can make a better comparison sure. with, with American military movies. Is mm. and The first answer is no. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that is straight up pro samurai. Because I think it's borderline impossible. Um, mm. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. There are still many movies I have to watch that are samurai focused. Uh, so that's a good question. If anybody out there has a suggestion for a pro samurai movie, a movie that is not indicting the viewpoint of the samurai with with all the problematic uh, things that exist within their code, you know, we something like Seven Samurai probably you knows there's a reason it's considered the greatest samurai movie aka anti-samurai movie uh right next to harakiri because apparently a lot of people also put that there is because of what it says about their code and about right. the, the, what their country did and about what they did for their country with american war movies like is there a samurai version of death wish or cobra right <laughs> yeah like more more of a i'm sure there's like well, I guess if we go that route, we should be able to find something that's more basically propaganda samurai. Mm, yeah. That has I, to I, exist. There has to be some stuff during World War II. Because, I mean, that that militaristic World War II regime had those ideals and believed in that stuff very and, – and they were making movies. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, so that would be an interesting topic for further discussion. But sorry, continue. With our military movies, you've got John Wayne and Audie Murphy – and Lee mm. Marvin, and you've got all these hard-edged motherfuckers making movies in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And then, don't quote me on this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because you you probably know more about this, this area of, of movie history than I do. It seems like things started to flip right around Vietnam, 
Mm, and movies yeah. started to indict the military more than praise the military because yeah, 100%. with what we, we had a built in bad guy with the Nazis. So that was like easy pickings. Everybody hates the fucking Nazis. I mean, unless you're a Nazi. Um, so it was easy, but then Vietnam comes along and we don't really know, okay, well, are we the bad guy in this situation? And mm. then you start getting movies that kind of question that. And I feel like just like with Japanese cinema in general around world war two, they did the same thing. Just like with Germany, like, you have your propaganda movies that praise a way of life and praise a certain code. And then a regime change, you realize some shit was wrong. You start seeing the backlash of that. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how I view it. No, that's a, no, that's a really good point. It's a much better point of comparison than the Western because the Western and the samurai kind of line up in certain ways, but the military movie is a really good example because you're right. I mean, American cinema did, uh, an about face, uh, no pun intended. Um, when it comes to its military movies, with exceptions, right? There are there are notable exceptions. That like, John Wayne is in, uh, um, well, which again you pointed that out. It, it is John Wayne. What is that Japanese movie or the Japanese movie? What is that John Wayne movie? I'm looking it up right now. That is really really pro Vietnam War. Um, Oh yeah, the name escapes me. Um, is it the no? It's not the longest day. Um, it's uh, I don't know. I can't think of it. But uh, but yeah, there there is a movie where um, is it the Green that, Berets? That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. That's it. It's Green Berets. That is about Vietnam, and it's very very pro Vietnam. So like examples exist, but those movies never really took off, right? Like nobody is looking back at Green Berets and being like, wow, what a great what a great movie that was. The movies that really took off and were really respected artistically were, you know, the, the anti-Vietnam movies, the Apocalypse Nows, the Platoons, Deer Hunter, and all that. Um, so that's a much better comparison than the Western. Um, what do you think? I'm going to let you lead this dance. You want to just get into the individual movies? Yeah, I mean, so so first, so everybody's on the same page. Uh, Harry Carey, uh, when a Ronin requesting seppuku, for those of you that don't know, seppuku is the same thing essentially it's ritualistic suicide um mm. at a at a feudal lord's palace is told of the brutal suicide of another ronin who previously visited he reveals how their paths are intertwined and in doing so challenges the clan's integrity now what's interesting about this is you see shades you you can't avoid shades of kurosawa right it's impossible mm. just like if you're an american auteur director you can't avoid shades of scorsese like it's like Quentin Tarantino put it best. Everybody steals from everybody. That's the way it works. Right. So there is a lot in terms of vibe and, and imagery that that he does, that, that Kobayashi borrows from Kurosawa. But this is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. The cinematography is next level. He develops his own voice very quickly. And the way he rolls the story out with such intensity. And also, I have to say, Tatsuya Nakadai, I think it's how you say his name. Hmm. You talk about a guy who can go toe-to-toe, as he does, actually, in the next movie, that can go toe-to-toe with Mifune. This motherfucker stole the show. Yeah, Like, he was perfect. There were times when he went psychotic and you believed it. There were times when you could see he was utterly heartbroken as he told the stories. Uh, This movie... 
absolutely blew my mind. Like it, it, it is, it's, I'm, I'm going to have to, I don't know if this exists on Criterion. I'm buying it if it does, because this is one of those where it's like repeat viewings are a necessity. Yeah. It's on, it's on Blu-ray and Criterion. And I think there's a bunch of cool special features. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, well. this, this is a must own for any Japanese film lover, for any, for any film lover in general, like, uh, I, I'm excited to go down the 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 rabbit hole of watching more Kobayashi stuff because I know, as you already pointed out, he's an auteur director. He has other really big titles in terms of what he put out. So yeah, and normally I do this at the end of the episode, but yeah, just just to point out a couple of them. Um, well, we've already watched one and discussed one, which is quite an, which is yeah. I mean, you talk about you talk about beautiful and visual yeah, talk about it, it. Talk about visual language. Yeah. Like colors and cinematography. I mean, he trans, cause you know, we have some direct, sorry to interrupt you, but we have some directors who, who like, they didn't know how to utilize color when the great change came, you know? Yeah. And this guy did like, yep. if you, if you watch Harakiri and then you watch Kwai Dan and you're like, that's the same director. It's like, I would be hard pressed to believe you. Yeah, Kwai Dan is a is a, and I mean no, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, or I, I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful by saying this. Kwai Dan is a is a ran level of the use of color in my. Oh, opinion. absolutely! Like it is, it is so beautiful and so incredible. And I think it's interesting. We watched Kwai Dan, and we were both kind of blown away by it, and then we just neither of us like kept going with Kobayashi. You know what I mean? And it's like, man, we we should have kept going. This, you know, because I, I don't even think I knew the Harakiri and Kwai Dan was the same guy, you know? Um, well, I, I knew it only because when I was researching, Kwai Dan was like the first thing to pop up. And that's right. when I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, and I'll, I'll just, like I said, I normally do it at the end of the episode. I'll just I'll shout out a few here. The Human Condition is another Kobayashi. I haven't seen any of these, but I'm just um, letting people know. Um, Human Condition is apparently a big epic. Um, yeah, isn't where- it a trilogy? It's, uh, I think it's two parts, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's divided into, or wait, no. This says it's divided into six parts, actually. Oh, wow. Um, okay, never mind. Yeah, six parts. So uh, we're both wrong. But um, And then the other one is um, there is an Eclipse series, which um, we love the Eclipse series on here. Um, it's called Masaki Kobayashi Against the System. Which is uh, which documents some of his early work before the human condition, before Harakiri, before Kwaidan, before any of this stuff. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, just wanted to shout out that. Um, let's talk about Harakiri though, because I think Harakiri is you know the visual nature of it is really you know like you said really beautiful samurai film. But in my opinion, and maybe you'll disagree with this, I think the kind of visual style takes a step up with the next movie. And I think let's talk about the story here because this is almost not to be reductive, but this is almost like a Japanese usual suspects. Like this guy walks into, you know, the samurai walks in and he's like, Hey, can I, can I kill myself on your, on your ground basically to on your land? Um, can I, can I do this suicide ritual? And, um, they're like, no, absolutely not. Because they think it's really kind of, it's really kind of ruthless. The people instantly are like, 
you're just faking it. You're not going to fucking kill yourself. You're faking it. So, cause you think we'll give you a, you know, we'll give you food or we'll give you money or whatever. Cause we'll feel sorry for you. But they're like, we're not going to feel sorry for you, pal. You can, you can just kill yourself right now. We don't care, you know? And then we get a series of flashbacks that kind of explain how the samurai got there in the first place and why he came to that place. And it's, you know, to no one's surprise, it's a tale of revenge, which I won't get into because in case anybody hasn't seen the movie, um, but it's a very, I guess, complicated series of like interlocking stories and flashbacks and, um, the only movie I could really think of was usual suspects when I was thinking about the kind of narrative, uh, complications of, of this. Um, I don't know how, how impactful was that? It, it, it's, I guess, well, I guess my, what do you think about it? You know? Um, well, it's funny. You say usual suspects. One of my favorite bits in, in television was always Columbo. I was a big mm. fan of the, just one more thing. Right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's all this guy has. Like all this guy has is like, he tells the story and they're like, okay, fine. Who do you want your second to be? Okay. This guy, well, he's out sick. And just one more thing is like, okay, well, this guy's out sick. Just one more thing. And it just goes from there uh, as he kind of spills the beans. That is Um, a really, really good comparison. Cause you're right. He's just like, they, they keep trying to rush him along the suicide process. And he's like, oh yeah, sure. Just one more thing. Like, <laughs> like I, that's a really good comparison. It's just kind of crazy when you watch this and you see that this system that they've designed is so based and and this bizarre but acceptable classism and and, and social hierarchy to the point to where I don't want to go into detail because I do think it will ruin the movie, but. He, he Nakadai questions them as to why didn't you ask what was going on? Mm-hmm. Why did you make him use that particular weapon? Uh, what you you did nothing to be helpful because there was like this, there was like this uh, stench on 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 the first samurai to them that was like he's just a fucking beggar, so we're gonna show him, and it's like no, this is more than like a this is more than just a slap on the wrist and send him out and like steal his weapons or something. It's like, no, like you're, this is life and death and this is cruel. And and they enjoyed it. Like they watched him do it and, and everyone kind of like, okay. Yeah. And, and and obviously this isn't a spoiler uh, so much, but the point of the second is as they put it, to decapitate you after you have spilled your guts accordingly. Mm-hmm. So until you have until you have released your your intestines, essentially, they're not going to behead you. And the situation that he was in that was impossible, clearly. Right. Um, so this movie, like, it's such a heartless kind of thing to observe in terms of, like, so this was your honor system because. You know, this has never been a problem for you. All you had to go off of was, oh, it's happened at other villages. Right. But yet you react like it's been happening to you nonstop and you just can't take it anymore with how they're taking advantage of you. Right. And I'm sorry, man, Nakadai's. I don't know if he got an Oscar or got nominated. I don't know how how the Japanese Oscars work or or however. I'm not sure how their award system is, but 
dude, this dude, this dude brought it. Like he was on a different level from everybody else in this movie. Yeah, he, he almost is kind of a, you know, it's a very complicated, um, it's a very, oh, interesting. I just looked up, um, I just looked up just the awards section on Wikipedia. Um, this was entered into the competition at the 1963 Cannes Film Festival. It lost the Palme d'Or, though, uh, to The Leopard, another movie that we think uh, pretty fondly of here. Oh, that um, movie's brilliant, too. Wow. Yeah, that's a <laughs> what a year. What a year at the 1963 Cannes Film Festival. Um, but uh, uh, oh, and God, this is crazy. Actually, this is a this is a a little aside. But uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was also in competition for the Palme d'Or that year. Um, wow. Yeah, kind of a loaded loaded year there. Um, anyways. Um, yeah, you know, in his role as uh, in Nakati uh, Nakata's role as a kind of Columbo, you know, interrogator figure, he's he's interrogating and he's doing kind of like a one more thing, you know, type type bit. But the real question that he's asking, and the real his real function, his narrative function, is questioning the value system of these samurais, you know. And he kind of, uh, you know, I don't know if he ever says this or it's never this preachy, but the implication is him going, how could you people be so slavish to this code that would allow you to, 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 that would allow such cruelty to happen, right? You know, And, and, and that is kind of his job narratively is to kind of question and poke at the, um, uh, you know, very thin veneer of honor and code and feudalism. And, and, and he's questioning the value system of these people, you know? Um, and, but it, it doesn't come off as preachy, I guess, you know, at least to me, it doesn't. Um, Not at all, because it can't be preachy when all you're doing is, is spitting truth. That's all you're doing. You're, you're right. You're right. You, you, you don't have to facts. change. You don't have to change anything to fit your narrative. It's one of those, it's one of those like gimme situations where it's like, I'm just going to tell you what happened. Right. Like there's there's no there's no arguing the point here. And then there is a kind of, you know, again, not to spoil the ending, but there is a kind of um uh print the legend type, you know, man who shot Liberty Valance type ending here, where it's just like uh well, we're gonna we're gonna um, we're gonna protect the integrity of the code and our on our moral system and our um, you know uh, our, our our system of values. You know, we're going to protect that as opposed to like letting the truth out or um, you know anything that would question the kind of status quo. We're gonna kind of again, no pun intended, sweep it under the rug. Um, that's uh, which is kind of brutal. To be honest, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Any, any last thoughts on Harakiri before we move on? It's a good ass movie, man. Um, that's the thing. Like, the, you know, uh, it, it's it's a great movie that's also incredibly layered, and the story unfolds in such a slow burn way. But it's one of those times where 
honestly, it reminded me of like a No Country for Old Men where it's like, this is really slow burn, but you are like so involved. Hmm. Like you don't care. Like, like, and, and, and No Country, you didn't care that Anton Chigurh wasn't killing somebody every five minutes or there wasn't a right. shootout. You don't care in Harakiri if he is fighting every 10 minutes or, or anything like it's just the story and, and his emotion and, and the, what he's compelled to do really drives home how wonderful this movie is. And you do get somewhat of a payout at the end. And I'll tell you that payout or payoff, I should say, um, talk about crazy that that's some fucking thrown a blood shit. Like, Oh yeah. It took, yeah, yeah, it yeah. took an army. We've got spears, we've got arrows, we've got swords. This motherfucker's like, he's not going anywhere. He grabs the armor, which is like, I know it's somewhat of a spoiler, but you know, it's, it's an old movie. Go watch it anyway, guys. But he grabs that armor, that samurai armor, mm-hmm. and he's got blood all over him and he's clearly going to die. And like, there's just something that, that that's what I'm talking about with with visual language like that is pure genius on screen like grabbing that armor with it in his hands and like the other guy didn't even have the decency really to get up when they crushed through the wall because it's like you know fuck they're gonna kill you like i don't have to worry about you anymore right and and clearly this ends by the way once again a little bit of a spoiler but so be it this ends with the hypocrisy of your code Mm -hmm. yeah it, it, it it is it, you're you're tell, you're lying about everything. He died of sickness. He died of sickness. We can't let this get out. We don't want the other villages finding out. Blah blah blah. So once again, not to throw something under the bus, but just like my issues with organized religion, like there it is. Like there, your your hypocrisy is there. Uh, I hope you're listening, Catholic Church. Um, so it's just fucking nuts, dude. This movie was heartbreaking, but also being entertaining. Uh, it's a balancing act. I cannot believe I've never seen it. Uh, it. It's a masterpiece. Like I really, I could talk about it longer, but guys just go watch the fucking movie. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's, 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 it's a, it's such an indictment of, and I love that you're, you're right about the, they're not even following their own code. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's, it's this warped ver- version of like, Oh, honor and truth and whatever really matters to us. And it's like, does it, you know, because it really doesn't seem like it does. It um, matters to you when it fits your narrative. Right. That is the only time it matters to you. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Or or even when it benefits you, you know what I mean? That too, and that, yeah. And, and that I think is, that I think is uh, the kind of agreed upon, you know, because like, like, okay, which not to get on too big of a different, but like capitalism is bad, right? Capitalism is, 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 Hey, Hey is, pal, the verdict's still out. <laughs> the verdict, we're still, we still need to get some more information to figure out. Um, but capitalism rewards selfishness, right? It just, it's inherent in the system, you know? Um, you know, democracy is a very, um, obviously selfish form of government because it's like, well, who do you want to be president? Right you can vote for them or, you know, whatever. Um, and I think there are other systems and other ideologies that are not as honest as they're, they're not as honest about benefit about them being selfish as well. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like, Oh, well, we're doing it for the good of the code or doing it for the good of this greater good that we believe in. And it's like, Oh, well, 
sometimes that greater good really, <laughs> really aligns with your own personal interests. Isn't that interesting? You know, and that is kind of what we're dealing with here with this movie, where it's like it's a criticism of this system that is dishonest about its um, its its codes and its rules and its ideologies and its belief system. Uh, when really it's set up to, um, you know, it's set up to benefit the people in charge, just like every other system, right? Just like every other political or ideological system, you know, and um, there's a dishonesty about that that I think is laid bare in this because it's like, don't talk about the fucking code. Everybody is just trying to benefit themselves here, right? You don't want to give the guy money because it's your money. like you're not you're not not giving him money out of some code you think you are but you're not giving him money because it's your money and you don't want to be parted from it right um so yeah which like like and i like how you said the ending pays off because we're making it sound like this is some kind of dreary exposition of like the you know oh this is why samurais are bad but like no country for old men boy do we get a heavy dose of genre thrills uh along with that you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, th- this movie works on every level. I-, I, As big of a Kurosawa fan as I am, I cannot argue with anybody if they're like, I'm, in terms of indicting a system, I'm going to go with, with Harry Kiri on, on this. And honestly, I'm not even going to fault you if you say you like it more in general because, I mean, they're both brilliant. But this movie, this movie's on another level. So, I mean, watch it if you haven't. If you haven't seen it forever, rewatch it. You're doing yourself a favor. Also, Seven Samurai has a little bit of that. Depiction doesn't always equal endorsement, but sometimes in movies it does because movies just makes they make shit look so cool, you know. Oh, and yeah. like Seven Samurai, it's like it would be fun to be one of those guys, you know what I mean? Like just chilling out and helping this village protect itself, you know. I mean, not ultimately, and that's not the point of the movie, but like you know what I mean? There's a little bit of that. I don't think there's any of that in Harakiri. Harakiri, at no point do you watch it and you're like. Man, being a samurai looks fun. You know, that that thought never enters your head while you're watching it. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely not. I agree. Um, so so what, about, what about Samurai Rebellion? Want to move on to it? Yeah. Samurai Rebellion, 1967. The mother of a feudal lord's only heir is kidnapped away from her husband by the lord. The husband and his samurai father must decide whether to accept the unjust decision or risk the death to her to get her back. Now, look, I like to read you guys simple synopsis. I don't. I don't go on Wikipedia, but sometimes IMDb is just straight up wrong. What the fuck is this synopsis? Like, there's so much more to this movie. I guess that I guess that's the plot for the second half of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Yeah, that doesn't quite explain. Because yeah. they, they, like, just to get, tell you guys the other half of the synopsis is <laughs> I was a guy. Say, tell us in your own words because I feel like you'll do a better job than IMDb. So, so the, the, uh, the son of a samurai, uh, is forced to marry a woman who has disgraced herself in front of her Lord, but she managed to have an heir. And we all know history has shown us. It doesn't matter what race you are, what country you are. It's all about having an heir in case you die because the whole system is, is about fucking ego and shit. Right. Mm. So she gives him an heir and then she's like, you know, this is fucked up. Like you're creepy and weird. Like she, I mean, I'm assuming the movie doesn't say it. I'm assuming he raped her, you know, mm. or at the very least she wasn't 
I mean, by any standards, it is sexual assault. She had to go along with it or die, but the movie didn't really say that, but we have to assume that's the case. Yeah, I mean, she's basically like a forced concubine. Yeah. So they get married. They have a life. They have a kid. Their love blooms. It, it, It really works out. But then the Lord dies and they're like, hey, so that kid she had is the new heir and she can't be hanging out with bums. So we're going to take her back. Right. And Mifune's like, so when she was an inconvenience to you, we took her and made her our own. And now that she's not the inconvenience, you want her back. And they're basically like, yeah, pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Uh, Tashira Mifune. I mean, come on. You know, what else is there left to say? The dude, the dude is, is the greatest Japanese actor of all time. I feel like that's a pretty safe statement. God, dude, he's um, so fucking sick in this movie, man. You know what I noticed in this movie? And I, and I wanted to run this by you because I told my wife this and she kind of got it, but she's not as like well-versed with like Pacino's body of work. Dude, Pacino has to be a big Mifune fan. Mm, because they have this ability to switch levels. And I'm not talking about like Jack Lemon levels where it's like you can go from being super confident and being like a, a prick to like begging on your knees, essentially. Like Jack Lemon was really gifted. What Mifune and Pacino do is they can be calm. They can be calm at delivering things. And for the sake of our listeners' ears, I won't give you an example of this. <laughs> but they can be calm. And within one syllable, very Godfather 3 Pacino, heat Pacino, uh, the, everything changes. Their yeah. demeanor, their eyes, their delivery. And Mifune does that so much in this movie because you get you get a subdued Mifune, you get a high and low type Mifune or or mm. a drunken angel, but then he just flips it and he's like telling them how it is and telling them what's going on and what he's going to do, and it is beautiful to observe. Did you see that at all or no? Yeah, no. It's like a it's like a you know with Pacino, uh, and well, and we'll both with both of them, I guess it's there's a simmering, you know what I mean? And the simmering doesn't look like simmering. It looks like still water. You know what I mean? Like it, there's a simmering below the surface, but you're not really seeing it. You know, it's very, very well concealed, but it's, it's, and I I can't describe it. I mean, talking about acting is really, really tough describing the, you know, exactly what these actors are doing and the choices they're making. But it's like, he's looking calm, but you can tell under the surface, you know, the, the indignities are starting to add up, you know what I mean? And not in like a, not in an obvious way, but just in a really, really subtle way. And then when they explode, it makes sense. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 he's been giving you cues the whole time. I can't even say what the cues are. Cause I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know what they are, but he's been giving you, you subtle He's using his face and his body to give you subtle cues that the explosion is coming. And so when it comes, it is shocking, but it also makes sense. And it, it is a, um, well, I mean, it's just a fucking skill. I mean, you know, how do you even talk about acting? You know what I mean? It's just, well, it's, it's, it's reminiscent of the people who like, they're good actors. They're, they're good at their job, blah, blah, blah. But you can kind of tell when they're about to cry. It's almost right. like it's like telegraphing a pass in basketball. Mm. But Mifune and Pacino and many others can switch those gears exactly how you said, which is you don't see it coming. Like it's simmering yeah. and it's building, but you don't see 
the visual, like you don't see the buildup in their face or with their demeanor. They're not tensing up. It just changes on a fucking dime. And it is just something to behold. It's a, it's, you're right. It's a, um, it's, it's change. It's the, the, the temperature in the room is changing, but like, if you were to watch footage of it, you would not be able to point anything out. Like, like look at the way his face is grimacing or whatever. It's like, no, you, you, if you were to watch it back, you wouldn't even be able to point anything out, but you can sense it, right? You can, you know, it's similar to the way that, you know, uh, I think Jimmy Stewart is another really good example of this, specifically the post-war movies, you know, when you get into like Vertigo and even in It's a Wonderful Life, like, you know, he he is a second away from fucking snapping in some of the movies, you know, and in some of the movies he does snap. And, um, and that's why I think Jimmy Stewart's one of the greatest because of, you know, his ability to do both, both things. Um, but, is there but a motorcycle also, in your apartment? Yeah, it's just it just pulled up in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but it's the Cary Grant thing too. It's his ability to run through about ten different emotional uh, nuances in about ten seconds, you know. And and that's kind of what Mafune is up to here, except for he's he, he's instead of playing ten notes at the same time, he's playing two notes very slowly you know, very slowly and methodically. And it's, um, it's just masterful, man. It's, you know, I, it, I don't even really know what to say about it. He's just, he's such a great performer. So, so this movie is five years after Harakiri and Kobayashi decides to, to, okay, we're going to indict this code, but it, but in this, this time, the samurai is the sympathetic figure. Okay, so so we've got this retired samurai and he's like the bet It's very clear. He's the best swordsman around. And this one, he's going toe to toe with our boy from the last movie, Mm -hmm. uh, Tatsuya Nakadai. By the way, I hope I'm saying his name right. Apologies if I'm not. Um, Yeah. So who knows? We're doing we're doing our best here, folks. So they're friends. And, you know, we even get some foreshadowing, oddly enough. When when a lord at the beginning is like, I wish you guys would just duel because haha, mm. I'm an asshole. I want to watch you guys fight to the death, right? <laughs> um, so they're like, oh no, like we're not going to do that. So then we we get this introduction to this badass samurai with Mufune, very subdued Mufune, and and he's unsure if the son should marry the daughter or to marry should marry the lord's ex because it's like, you know. No offense, but at the time you're thinking, because the movie writes this wrong, because the movie does get into women's rights, 100%. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you're like, I don't want like the leavings of, of the Lord. My son's better than that. Right. So so the son decides to do he it. Kinda, he didn't want, didn't want the sloppy seconds. Yeah, essentially. So the son decides to do it. You know, take one for the team. The family wants it, blah, blah, blah. It'll make him look good in the Lord's eyes because everything's about perception, right? Right. So and they actually like, do fall in love. Yeah. And that's the thing. They fall in love and they have a child and and that's why it's so heartbreaking. And it's like he 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 literally says, the son says, like, my father said I need to do what's best for the family, but he also said, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but he also said, You mean a lot to us. Mm. Like so I that that speech Mafune gives, which I don't want to ruin it, but I'll just say when when he talks to them alone, 
after the first family meeting. And he basically says like, there wasn't an ounce of love in my marriage. And, and you two have rekindled that in me. And that's why I'm willing to fight for it. Dude, it is, it is just, it gave me chills just thinking about that scene. It's, it's the, it's, you know, it's such a movie trope, but it it never stops being effective, especially when it's a great actor and a great director and it's in a great movie. It's the, the honorable man fighting for the honorable thing. You know, it, it, it never gets old. And, and, and Mifune is just, um, I mean, it, I mean, what can you say? He's a hero. <laughs> like he's just, he's a hero in this movie. You know, there's no other way to put it. Um, and, and not only that, it, the reason this movie was, is so interesting in juxtaposition to the last one is because we have the honorable man making the honorable call when he shouldn't be right. Because he is a samurai. This right. shit doesn't matter to him. All that matters to him is the the end. The means justify the ends, and and the means are. are I'm a samurai. I follow the code. Like right. this is what we do. So going against the system was not something that is the norm for him, and that's another reason why this character is so complex. So it's humanizing it, but never praising it. Right. If that makes sense. No. No. Yeah. You and. You know, I want to I want to um, touch on two two different elements that I think really separate this movie because it's it's the perfect example of a director. You know, it's like it's like the Wes Anderson thing, right? Like people tend to you know uh, criticize him for making the same movie or whatever, and it's you know making the same kind of movie over and over again, which I think really sells short the fact that this man has created his own kind of artistic world and is, um, is, is modifying it and shaping it with each different movie, right? These movies are not the same, uh, thematically or, you know, anything They're, they're, they're evolutions, um, of a particular style and Kobayashi's not up to the same thing. Don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not the same kind of project, but Kobayashi's up to a, artistic project of criticizing um these you know uh traditional japanese values of feudalism the samurai code you know things that like we said the 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 regime in world war ii they believed in right and that they used as an ideology as an ideological basis to you know do horrible things um and start you know become half of a of a world war right Um, so that is kind of his career project, but that doesn't mean he's making the same movie every time. And I want to point to two key differences that show an evolution of that artistic project. And it's a continuation. Yes. It's a, it's the same, same thematic elements. Yes. But it is an evolution, uh, in, in two ways. One of them is visually, I think the widescreen, um, in Samurai Rebellion really, really helps him convey visually some of the ideas that previously, like in Harakiri, are only conveyed thematically or narratively, right? The 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 widescreen, I think, allows a kind of, you know, uh, like in a Western or whatever, it allows you this the, the ability to kind of show this vast landscape, right? But Samurai Rebellion, we don't get any landscape. We don't get any vast, beautiful, incredible landscape. What we get are 
our characters being boxed in, right? The characters are boxed in by this traditional um, Japanese uh, architecture and they're boxed in by the frame. And this is obviously a, a, a parallel to them being boxed into this, you know, traditional system of values, right? And you can see it. The characters are in, not just the frame, but the the, the buildings, the shots. The, these characters are not um, on the open plane the way that they would be in like a Western or even like a, another samurai movie. They're boxed into these um, these houses and these streets and these, you know, all these other different things. Um, and it's, I think, so I think there's a visual evolution here that is, uh, 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 aided by the widescreen, um, element and the other element, and I'm, I'll, I want to want to hear your thoughts on both of these things. The other element is the element of the women involved. There's a lot more attention paid to the domestic nature and the domestic consequences of this samurai code, this feudalistic code. Um, we get a lot more emotion, a lot more of the women's perspective. Now in reading about it, apparently this was a shrewd box office move, uh, for the studios because they wanted to try to see if women would see samurai, uh, movies. Right. So this is, this is a shrewd business decision. And again, this is the, this is the art of film directing, right? This is a shrewd business decision from that's mandated from the studios and Kobayashi manipulates that shrewd business decision into, uh, first of all, an, an interesting and moving element of a movie of a work of art, right? First of all, but second of all, he uses it as a, an evolution of his, uh, artistic project, right? Which is, Dude, if that's not the L, it's if that's not the the core elements of film directing, I don't know what is. Um, so, anyways, yeah, I want to get your thoughts on those two things before we wrap up. Well, the, the 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 one of my favorite things about this one was the use of women, um, mm. because we get like in uh the name I forgot just the name of the movie uh Harakiri. We get the wife, but she dies. You know, right. and it is not played into very much. But in this one, we not only see the the wife as a bargaining chip, you know, uh, is used twice in the movie, but we also see through the lens of of the director and also from some of the characters saying, like, I, this my shit was arranged and nothing ever worked out, and you guys have found love, and like this is beautiful kind of thing. So, and then the movie shows something that we're not used to seeing, which is fighting for women. Women have all, throughout history, it's always been a bargaining chip. It's always been a thing of, like, you know, it doesn't matter what country you're from. If, if, these, if these social hierarchy, uh, hierarchy kind of classism systems are implemented, women always were at the bottom end of the, of the totem pole kind of thing. So it was really interesting to see it in such a beautiful, tragic way. And the way he utilized it in this movie uh, was also, I don't know, it was just, it was so well done because nothing felt forced. Like you said, he kind of, he, he, he used it to work for his vision. And I agree with you a hundred percent. If that's not what this art is about, then what is it? Well, and it's a, it's a, it's a, just to put another button on it, it's a combination of, and to bring another, 
a director into the mix. It's a combination of the Mitsuguchi uh, focus on women. I think speaking of Eclipse collections, I think there's an Eclipse collection called Mitsuguchi's Fallen Women, right? Um, and, you know, in uh, the movies that we've watched of his, Ugetsu and um, uh, Sancho the Bailiff, you know, there's obviously a focus on how these you know, the, the lives of Japanese women for lack of, you know, just to, to simplify it, but there's a combination of that kind of Mitsuguchi um, attention to the female, the plight of the Japanese female uh, alongside, but, but he's merging that kind of um, element with a, you know, Kurosawa level um, uh, samurai movie. Right. It, it's a it's a combination and a merging of kind of both of those two things, um, which is which is really interesting, you know. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I when when I started off with the idea of picking someone that was very Kurosawa esque, I I'm so pleased to find out that it is like, no, it, it it's not trying to copy Kurosawa. It is somebody that has their own voice and their own ideas and executed them perfectly. And two movies that quite frankly are, are on the, are, are close to being on the level of, of some of Kurosawa's best films. So uh, evolution, I would even, well, I, evolution indicates that, that I guess something is getting better, but I don't mean it that way. It, 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 it is a, uh, an evolution in the sense that it is doing something different. Well, well like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's um it's not just somebody being like man i'm gonna make a badass samurai movie that looks like seven samurai it's it's a it's a thematic and i would even say visual evolution because again of the the widescreen um the widescreen samurai rebellion is is really something uh to behold there but um yeah man good picks good you i, I don't know if we talked about it last episode but yeah this was this was your pick and uh um yeah you knocked it out of the park yeah, man, I, I was so happy with, with how good these were. Tell us what we're watching uh, next week, because next week was uh, both two blind spots for me from uh, from a director you picked. Oh, yeah. So next week we're going to be talking about Edward Yang, um, who is a Taiwanese filmmaker um, who um, uh, made movies in, well, I guess, 80s, 90s, and uh, Yi Yi is 2000s. We're going to be talking about A Brighter Summer Day, two long ones. So um, if you're if you're following along, um, uh, get, get your watching in early because they're they're a couple of long boys. Um, a brighter summer day, uh, which is from 1991, uh, and then Yi, which is from the year 2000, which is very difficult to say. Um, and uh, yeah, very excited about those two. Uh, you know, I don't think we've talked about a Taiwanese filmmaker um, yet on the show, and Yi is one of those movies that I am just in awe of. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to uh, talk about those two movies, both on the Criterion channel. If you're interested in following along, um, very excited to watch. Have you, have you watched these yet? Have you, you said you watched uh brighter summer day, right? I did. I watched the brighter summer day and it was terrible. So I'm looking forward to Yee. No, I did. I, wa- I watched The Brighter Summer Day. Abs- I loved it. Can't wait to discuss it. It was a journey. It was a journey of of ridiculous proportion. So, 
Yeah, very excited. Almost almost more of TV shows. We're going to be re- reviewing two TV shows uh, next week. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. This this this, this uh, Asian cinema without the big three is really um, really working out. I'm I'm really happy with the directions we've gone. Yeah, me too. I, I, I'm I'm excited to to kind of you know limit some of these blind spots and and the world of Asian cinema and and not just. I have a tendency to say more focused on Japan. So it's nice to kind of be getting out of Japan. Uh, and seeing what other movies Asia has to offer. Well, I mean, I'm getting out of Japan. You seem you're stuck That's true. in Japan. Which... But but I but I am <laughs> I'm getting to enjoy being out of Japan with your picks. So yeah, I, I don't expect which is not a criticism. I don't expect you. I mean, you're 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 Mr. Japan now. You're Mr. Kurosawa. So I I don't expect you to uh you know to 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 stray too far. And that's that's fine. Yeah, I'm struggling with my last two picks. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see where what's what's going with that. So anyway. Uh, guys, don't forget, rate and review wherever you listen. Also, apparently, we're using this new thing called Threads. If you know what it is, you know what it is. I'm not really familiar, but Jacob made us one, so follow us on there. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess Threads is already dying. I, <laughs> apparently, I don't know. I thought it had 100 million subs. I don't know, though. I, I It did, but I guess people are already saying it, it sucks, or I don't know. I can't keep up with this shit. Well, just follow, we're on all the social shit. Follow us which, which, with whichever ones you use. Yeah, yeah, do that. So, either way, because I mean, they've been saying Twitter is going to die for what feels like years. So, uh, but yeah. So, guys, just uh, yeah, do that. It's a huge help. It's a huge help to the algorithm. Let us know about these anti samurai movies, pro samurai movies. Let us know what you're watching, because uh, I would be very curious to see if you have a suggestion that's on the same level or style as any of these movies that we're watching. So let yeah, us know, guys. I, I, I want to hear about the, I want to hear about the Samurai Cobra. You know what I mean? Cause I'm not above it, right? I don't need my movies to be morally correct. You know what I mean? I, I want to see the pro. I want to see the Samurai where it's like, these young people are getting out of hand. I need to kill them all, you know, type of death wish thing. Yeah. I'm on board with that, obviously. So, um, yeah, let us know guys. But, uh, do you have anything to add before we get out of here? Let's wrap it up. Guys, hope you enjoyed this, and we'll see you next week at the Silver Screen Video. Video.